Hello, everyone. Happy Maundy Thursday. This is this is Pastor David and Sarah coming to you from the basement of our house. Our our uh, still we are still getting a few things unpacked now. Here and there. Here and there, but we're almost done. You can almost you can almost uh, taste it uh, that uh, we'll be able to get all those boxes out of the way and then into the. And then we can get our cars in. That would have been helpful Ooh. this morning, wouldn't yeah. it? After the, all the yeah. snow, after the Not snow, that we, we needed had. them to go anywhere. Yeah, that's but. true. Not that anybody's going anywhere. Uh, but uh, we're going to. We're glad to be here with you today. We're going to talk about Second Peter, uh, chapter two, maybe chapter three. We'll see. And as always, this podcast depends on what Abigail does. If Abigail wakes up, that's the end of the podcast. So we are trying to take a little bit of time during her nap to Mm -hmm. talk about the scripture with you. So why don't we begin with prayer? Heavenly Father, just as false teachers appeared in, in Peter's day and in the days of the early church, help us to recognize true from false in our day. Help us to recognize those teachers that bring us to life and bring us the gospel word, the gospel that always saves, that always brings new life. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So you may have noticed we're going to be talking a lot about false teachers because that's what Second Peter chapter 2 is about. Uh, Sarah, looks like you have the NIV there. Yes. 1984 NIV, by the way. NIV did release an update in 2011 that included uh, more gender-inclusive language. And that kind of blew up uh, the Bible publishing world and and led, I think, to... It was either the uh, ESV or the Christian Standard Bible, one of those others that went the exact opposite direction. (laughs) And for... uh, reaction to perceived political correctness in, in scriptural translation. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, why don't you take it away? Let's read the whole chapter. Okay. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this was so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous, 
for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Baor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven forth, driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. <laughs> so this is a very long diatribe on false teachers in the community. It, sh it should be noted that Jesus himself warns against false teachers and false prophets. In the Synoptic Gospels, towards the end of his ministry, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come in my name. Uh, if anyone says, I am he, do not believe it. This happens several times. Well, this happens especially after the and Jesus says that, uh, talks about the end times. Jesus goes full apocalyptic. And he talks about how the temple is going to fall. And then the disciples ask him, when is this going to happen? Because, of course, remember the temple in Jerusalem was the navel of the world, so to speak. It was the center of the universe, the place where earth and heaven met. So, by... By predicting the temple's downfall, Jesus is predicting the end of the world as they know it. There's really no other way to say that. So when they ask him, when, the, when is this going to happen, Jesus, he says, well, be on your guard. He doesn't give any kind of time frame, right? He says... And in reality, some of them didn't make it that long. No, no. Yeah, and... It, which is also why that's sometimes that story, sometimes a story, sometimes that concludes with 
some of you standing here will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God come in glory, which was, you know, from a historical perspective, could be seen as kind of an embarrassing thing to include in the gospel, mm -hmm. since it didn't seem to have come in its fullness. Of course, the transfiguration it often comes right after that particular verse, and that is the kingdom of God in its fullness, in, in its glory. And three did see it, at least in that particular brief time. And, of course, more fully on the cross. The cross is where Jesus does enter his glory. And you see that even in Mark. James and John say, Lord, permit us to be on your right hand and left when we come in, when you, when you enter into glory. And Jesus says, yeah, that spot isn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> Those spots have already been reserved. Those spots have been reserved for two criminals. You probably don't want it. No. You don't know what you're asking. The f no, they don't know what they're asking about drinking the cup. If you knew, you wouldn't volunteer for it. Right. Well, I think no one would, right? Yeah. So what we have here is something that was a, a, a big concern of the Christian community. Yeah. You will have, you will have false teachers. And... This is a, you could see this pretty much as an extension of you will know them by their fruits, right? So you, so how do you recognize a false teacher? Well, they're apparently not afraid uh, to, if you look at verse 10, they, they are apparently uh, indulgent, extremely self-indulgent. Mine, my, mine says, uh, the flesh, yours says the sinful nature. Mm -hmm. And they apparently have no trouble with that. Uh, they apparently slander the glorious ones, and that's also language borrowed from First Enoch. It's also echoed in the first letter of Peter and in the letter of Jude. This notion that are how... The, are those different from Nephilim? Oh, gosh. The Nephilim in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4... Are those they're they're like half divine, half mm -hmm. human hybrids? Because this it's it's this very uh, ambiguous and weird section of Genesis where it says in those days the the Nephilim were on the on the earth in those days, and they were apparently the offspring of angelic or the sons of God, as it says in in Genesis. They're offspring of divine beings and of human women. And apparently that is shown, uh, this mixing of the flesh like that, is apparently showing from Genesis, the, is showing the increase of wickedness on earth by all this, all this crazy stuff happening, you know. So it's, it's, uh, it's the Nephilim are hybrids. Uh, the first Enoch does go into that a bit more. That that's an inter that's a, a piece of Jewish apocalyptic literature, a fairly long piece, very popular during the early church. Although it did not end up making it into our Christian canon, uh, with one exception, the Ethiopian Church still has it mm -hmm. in their canon. It only exists in Gaez. I don't know if I pronounced that language right, but that's the ancient Ethiopian. Uh, church language, and it's still used in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church today, 
and there are a few fragments here and there in Greek. But that basically tells a different false story. It tells a story about how humanity's fall came because angelic beings decided to go down there and have relations with human women, and not only that, to also teach them all sorts of forbidden knowledge. And that's what led to the fall of humanity and the flood and all of that. So you have this different, it's a, it's a different kind of story than, than uh, the woman saw the apple in the garden, not the apple, the fruit, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of story, but it was very popular in the early church. And you see echoes of First Enoch here in, uh, in this letter, as well as in First Peter and in Jude. My translation says celestial beings, so mm-hmm. that just made me think of that. Yeah, so that this is how this is a these apparent false teachers apparently dare to to step above their their own their own authority. You know, you have this sense that even Michael didn't rebuke the devil. That's in Jude mm-hmm. over the body of Moses, which comes from another apocalyptic. Work, uh, another apocalyptic and mostly lost work, work called the Assumption of Moses, mm. or the Testament of Moses. Heard of that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, because you know how what happened in 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 the Torah in the Book of Deuteronomy after Moses dies, no one knows where he's buried, mm-hmm. and it, I do believe it says there that God buried him. That no one so. buried no one buries him but God. So again, that led to some speculation. Well, what happened? It's like with Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He was no more because God took him. In any case, these false teachers are arrogant, aren't they? They're arrogant. They're apparently, they are creatures of instinct. So they slander what they don't understand. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice, all this seduction language here, right? They have hearts trained in greed, and they follow they follow the road of Balaam, or Balaam, son of Bosor, you know, and he was the one who rode the donkey and was going to curse, was going to curse Israel, ended up blessing Israel three times, and eventually got killed by Israel because of his part in apparently, it's I don't believe it's explicitly said, but in Numbers he apparently leads these uh, the Israelite men to to uh, engage in sexual relations with Midianite women, and along with that to to worship their gods. So he apparently ends up getting killed in the middle of, of that, and that's mm-hmm. the road of Balaam. It's the road of idolatry. So it's the worshiping other gods that was the problem. Yeah, but there really Rather isn't. Rather than mixing blood with other tribes. Yes, but it's it's hard to separate those two, from my understanding, in the okay. ancient Israelite mind. That's you know, if you they that's were expected the, to marry within the tribe or within the nation. I guess I should that say that certainly becomes more true when you have uh, in the time of um, Nehemiah where Nehemiah tells the Judahites who come back from Babylon, or, you know, you can't marry foreign women. So that was a, that was a big deal. Uh, because, because then 
if you marry foreign women, and again, this is men and women again, because it, it, it's that same old sexism in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, it's it's always the woman's fault, it, it seems. But again, we're talking about power relationships just as much. If you marry someone who's a foreigner, they will have their own gods. That is the issue at stake here. It's not about blood. It's not about, it's not purity in that way. The concern in the ancient Hebrew mind is always idolatry. You know, it's... They had no problem marrying family anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, within the tribe, it's all a big family. Exactly. I mean, that's why Abraham says, uh, or uh, Abraham, there's uh, why Sarah tells, uh, wants to get, uh, don't marry one of the Canaanite women. Tells Isaac that, right? And so she arranges for him to marry his cousin, Rebecca, because she's within the family because they don't have different gods. It seems weird and kind of disgusting to us mm-hmm. today, but that's that was the line of thinking. <clears throat> so we have... Uh, a lot of this language comes from the letter of Jude. It's Jude says something to says something like yet beginning at verse 8 yet in these this is for the letter of Jude yet in these the same way these dreamers also defile the flesh reject authority and slander the glorious ones. Uh, so a lot of this language yeah, comes from Jude. And in Luther's time, Luther thought that Jude had copied Second Peter, not the other way around. But now most scholars believe that that uh, Second Peter borrows language from Jude. Most of the most folks, most scholars think that Jude is older. Hmm. What else do you notice? What else is going on here? Well, they cite the writer cites examples of God rescuing people from punishment while also punishing those who have rejected him. Yeah. Yeah. You have, uh, you have Noah here who was, he, God, God saved Noah when he brought upon the world, uh, when he brought the flood on and God rescued Lot. You, you see God's, God is a God of both mercy and and wrath at the same time and judgment. Uh, that's you know we may not like that, but that is what what this letter is pointing out. And choice, they try to save Lot's wife, but she makes the choice to look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. you can't be it can't be forced. No, 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 and. Um, even, yeah, we that that would bring up another yes. <laughs> topic there where we talked about the bondage of the will last week, yeah. and how God does save those who who God want who God elects to salvation. That's that's just part of not only Lutheran doctrine but Christian doctrine. Uh, just the, the the nature of human choice in that has always been a, a matter of debate. Mm-hmm. You know. Do we cooperate at all with our salvation? Luther said, absolutely not, because if any part of it is up to me, then everything depends on that little bit. 
At the same time, if you tell someone not to look back, what are they going to do? There is that part, isn't there? Well, Abigail is getting upset, as we can hear. (laughs) So let's just look at the proverb here briefly. Uh, It has happened to them, according to the true proverb. This is after after 2 Peter says it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back. So we're at verse 22. And so we're at verse 22, right? You know, the dog turns back to its own vomit and the sow is washed only to wallow in the mud. (laughs) So are we forgiven only to fall back into sin? Doesn't that happen every day? It does. But is he saying that these people are actively choosing to go back. Yeah, yeah, perhaps so. And that's so. different. That is something to wrestle with, I suppose. Uh, I will say that it's definitely true for addiction, that it's so easy to fall back into addictive behaviors that you thought you'd left behind. And, and that's uh, true, whether it's a substance or, or a or behavior or, or, yeah, or something else. Yeah, I mean, we usually think of drugs, but I think that's also true of things we all struggle with. And, you know, it, from, from a Christian point of view, we're addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to our own wants, our own desires. Mm-hmm. We're addicted to, and, and that Luther identified as original sin. You know, being addicted, mm-hmm. being a, a captive to our own desires. The the man and the woman in the garden saw the fruit and they wanted it. They saw it was good, so they ate it. And that has been the 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 captivity of the human race ever since to be captive mm-hmm. to our own desires, uh, rather than than our wills aligned with that of our Creator. So that is, I think that's exactly. If you talk about sin, I think the the addiction uh, analogy is is spot on. Mm-hmm. This happens all the time. Another thing I would like to bring up before we we end because of uh, Abigail's, <laughs> you know, is that Luther brings up in the small catechism, you know, in, under baptism, he says that a new creature is to rise again daily to to serve God. A new creature rises again daily. Daily we die to sin, and daily we rise again. So this is the sort. The, this is what. This is exactly what happens with the Christian life. Um, we're trapped by our 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 sinfulness. We're trapped to our own uh, to our to what we want. You know, we are our own master, and that's not good for us, as it turns out. And that's. And so God does kill the sin, sinner within us every day and raises up a new creature. I think that's really the essence of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else? Anything you want to talk about? Anything else? Well, just that it it says it would have been better for them not to have turned towards the way of righteousness. Not to have been saved at all. Than yeah. to be saved and go back. Yeah. Yeah, which is that's pretty diff- strong. That is pretty strong, isn't it? And something like that is echoed somewhere in the letter to the Hebrews. You know, how can anyone be restored after that? Of course, the church, the teaching of the church, has consistently been that there is repentance after sin. There has to be because people do sin. That's a fact. Yeah. So it's it's really it, 
you know, if we kicked out everybody who sinned after they were baptized, there would not be a Christian church. That's simply oh. a fact. I think what Second Peter is getting into is this kind of willful, absolutely willful, persistent turning away. Uh, I, I can't think of any other... Shall we sin all the more so that grace may abound? Something like that, but it may be even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be something like, my way is right, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any other way, really, to yeah. to see it other than absolutely willful and persistent. Sure. And not even a, a sense of, eh, maybe not, you know. I, I don't think there's, um, because we do sin. We do mess up, and we do need to be restored again and again and again. Okay, I think that's going to close our time today, but uh, next week Sarah and I are going to come back with the end of of this uh, second epistle of Peter. We hope... Yes. Yeah, <laughs> she probably won't be for long. Okay, yep, and she's yelling again. Okay, God be with you. Have a good... Uh, the rest of your holy week join us online at facebook look up shalom lutheran church alexandria minnesota to to find our facebook feed and like us and we will have our worship coming to you uh, live from there tonight at 6 30 tomorrow night at 6 30 and then of course sunday morning at nine so god be with you be safe we'll join you again next week